Hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 28, verse starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, or I'm sorry, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for another opportunity to come and to worship you. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, and you have captivated our hearts. Your people love you here this morning. We're so thankful for what you've done on our behalf. You are God, you are our King, and we recognize your position, but we also are so grateful for this relationship that we have and enjoy with you and the peace that comes that passes all understanding and the liberty that we feel in our heart knowing that our sins are forgiven. Thank you. And I pray as we go through your word here this morning that we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you would have us to hear and to see and to understand and to take serious. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. And if there's anybody here, Lord, that does not know Jesus as Savior, we pray that this morning be the morning of their salvation, where they come to faith and repentance and trust in Him. Thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We live uh, really at a point in history unlike almost any other, specifically in Western Western history where people are not clear about what the purpose and the meaning of life is. This really began with during, uh, during the Enlightenment and there's been this big question as to why are we here, what is the purpose of it, what's the meaning of it, who cares, what's it matter? Now, if you've, if you've been coming here to New Hill for any amount of time, I'm, I'm going to say this, you, you shouldn't that shouldn't bother you. That should not be a question in your mind. This is an issue that we harp on a lot. But many churches are, I don't know what, what's going on here, but people are sitting in pews and they, they don't know how to answer a question like that because all of us don't know that there is something, where there's something bigger going on. We sense it. We sense that there's a, a kind of a meta-narrative. There's a story that's unfolding, and somehow we, we're involved in it, and we don't know what. We, do, we don't get it. So we grope around trying to find what our meaning is and what our purpose is. We know it's, there's something there, right? You don't have to grope wondering, why am I here? What's the meaning of my life? You don't have to do that. Christ here, prior, just prior to his ascension, this is after his Obviously, his earthly ministry, his death, burial, res uh, resurrection, and just prior to his ascension, explained to his people why they're here, what he's leaving him here, there for, here to do, why we're here, what we're here for. Also known as meaning and purpose. Jesus came to them. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. 
to define all of what I'm about to tell you, to empower everything I'm about to tell you. I'm not just giving you a philosophy that's of empty words. I have all authority. I'm defining these things, and I'm going to empower you to live these things, for this to be real to you and meaningful and fruitful. That's step one here in, this, in our thinking. We are not dealing with a benign, toothless, heavenly Santa Claus grandfather up there who just hopes everybody gets along and no, we're dealing with an authoritative sovereign, a cosmic sovereign over all things. All authority is in his, his, his hands, in heaven and on earth. As a result of that, go. Go. You're on a, you have a mission to go. You know that, by the way. Every single one of us know we're supposed to be doing something, right? You know that. I, everybody in this room and every person who's ever been born knows that there is something we're supposed to go and do. And it's awfully depressing when you feel like, I don't know what it is. I don't, I'm supposed to be something and this isn't it. Well, you're not wrong as far as this unction that you have is real. Go, therefore, because of who I am, because of the reality of my authority, the unstoppable nature of my authority, go as a result of that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Right there. Now, this is not a suggestion. This is not a suggestion. This right there is the purpose of your life here on this earth as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you need to become a Christian and plug into this. Now the world is going to tell you that your life is defined by what? Your, your aspirations and your dreams and your self-fulfillment and your self-actualization. And it's lies Every single one of us, I assure you, have went down that path and found it void and empty. And you know what the world tells us? We just haven't done enough of it. There's nothing here. Well, that's because that's you haven't done enough of it. No, there's nothing here because there's nothing here. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he's explaining what this looks like, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What, what's presupposed in that? Right? How do you... Anybody... We have some teachers here. You, you got to know the material first, right? And then you teach it. So we're to be people hungry for this word, not just for ourselves, though. See, that's where we're, there's a disconnect in modern evangelicalism where we think that, that it's like this is for me. 
right? You listen, to, it's like you, you go to some of these places, it's like Christian self-help is all it is. It's like Tony Robbins with like some of the Bible in there, like that this is about me and my growth and my success and my dreams and my vision and all this. No, no. This is where we begin to understand what worship is to the Lord and then we begin to share it with all nations. Everyone we come in contact with essentially is what he's talking about. It's not for us, it's for the, the advancement of his kingdom. So at all points, when you're wondering, what, why am I so unfulfilled? What, what is going on here? At all points in the Christian life, it is God's will for us to be experiencing this in two ways. One, to be a disciple. We've got people in our lives that are teaching us the word of God. Some of these people may be people you know. Some of them may have been dead for 700 years. You're learning from people that have gone before, either 10 years ahead of you or 500 years ahead of you, whatever, right? And they're teaching and you're learning. Who is that person in your life? Are you a disciple? It says teach them to observe. This concept of observe, it's like this desire to obey what we know. It's not just knowledge. We want to obey who are we learning from? Are you being discipled? And if you're not actively under the ministry of the word, either through personal discipleship, through, through the study of God's word, through, um, through, through listening. I mean, we've got so many advantages. Listening to preaching and teaching, coming to church. If we're not growing in our knowledge of this book. Why do, you, why do we feel, why are we so surprised that we feel so unstable? In life, what, what do you think? It's like letting the air out of one of your tires and trying to drive down the road. I don't understand why this car is shaking around like this. Like, why do you think it's doing that? Right? So who are we being discipled by? Who's teaching us the word of God? Do you even want that? Do you want to know him more and know his word? That's the, listen, if you're doing anything that's keeping you from the study of God's word, it's idolatry. It needs addressed. And by the way, it's fruitless. So there's that aspect. And then we then, as disciples, are to be discipling, right? Who are we feeding into? Now, if you've got these little ones, let me give you a hint that starts there. Mom, okay, dad, right there. Previous generations understood this, and it is mind-boggling how many families come to church, and that's just about it when it comes to the whole rest of the week. Well, I send them to church. They go to, they go to the youth group thing. Mm-mm. There's something bad wrong as a Christian family if this is not the centerpiece and when somebody messes up, including you, Dad, where if you're not, you're not, you don't hold yourself accountable to this, and you say, I, I screwed that up because the Bible says that, I, that Dad shouldn't act like that, or whatever passage you want to quote. This is the centerpiece. It's God's word. It's the standard by which this family operates. And we read from it. We talk about it. We meditate upon it. It's how you make disciples. 
listen, folks, we don't live in a Judeo-Christian culture anymore that's going to kind of help you along the way, even if you're being lazy at home about this. Don't be shocked. Listen, if you're bringing them to church just once a week or once a month, and this is not the centerpiece of your home, in this day and age, when your little boy comes home and says he's a girl, don't your jaw should not drop. What do you think the world is teaching him? It's right here. Being discipled and being a discipler. That's the meaning of life as a Christian. That's it. That's, all, that's the only marching orders he left us with. Go and find your happiness. Oh, go and explore your dream. He didn't say none of that. None of that. This is what he wants. And he doesn't change just because this is 2,000 years ago. And those of us that have experienced this, we, we find ourselves being discipled in the word of God and challenged for acting stupid. I get challenged. I get challenged. I feel like you guys get off my case sometimes. No! This is the standard. Not your feelings, Gary. I got Mark after me. I got Michael. I got Simon in particular and some others. It's like, guys, this is it. Being disciple. We disciple each other. Teaching our kids. Now, that's the meaning and the purpose of life. We have to start there to get to move on to where we're going here this morning. You're invited to join that. It doesn't have to be the way it's been. There is another way. Notice the call here, though. To make disciples, the end game is of all nations. That's an interesting word. Well, two words, all nations. That's real interesting. Remember, the centerpiece all throughout God's redemptive history to that point was what nation? Israel, right? Now we've got a worldwide call to make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. I want you to get your head into this. I want this to bury up right, up, right, right here. Nations. That implies the, the, whole, the whole structure of those people are to be discipled. Not one, not one aspect of that culture is to be uh, left alone. So their beliefs, right? Their, their behaviors, their customs, their governments, all of those things are to be addressed by God's people as we make disciples of them. It's one thing when we're just talking to our kids, right? Usually our lives are not in danger doing that. If, if it is, you need to come see me after church. Okay, we may have other issues going on there. But when you begin to follow the full implication of what Jesus says here to make disciples, this is why I'm leaving you here, this is the meaning and the purpose of your life, is to make disciples. You start right at home, and then it just trickles out. It just becomes who you are. The end game of that, logically, is to bring the whole world into submission 
to the rule of Jesus Christ, the recognition of who he is. That's the end game. Now, the world doesn't want that. Okay, did you know that? Right? This is where it gets hard. It isn't like they're like, oh, wonderful, thank you. Thank you, we're going to stop doing that. No. Jesus promised us that as we did this, we would be hated by all men. But the call is still there. So we need to have an understanding of the call and understand that he's only left us with this one. It's not like, well, you can do this over here, do this, or, or you guys can do this. Whatever you guys are, be- you know, no, this is it. This is the marching orders. It's the meaning and the purpose of our life. And as we obey this, this is where we begin to experience peace and, and joy and stability. We're not per- no one ever reaches perfect peace until we're in heaven, but we begin to grow in it. There's opposition. And when the opposition to this comes, it's incumbent upon Christians and pastors and leaders to stand and clarify that the pushback that we're getting is wrong. We're not making this up. We're commanded to teach them all of this. The pushback comes, and they'll say, whichever part of this they don't like, that's not true. And so then we have to stand and say, yes, it is. True. Well, you're an extremist. You're a fundamentalist. You're a wacko. Whatever it comes, you you do that again, you're going to go to prison. We don't have an option but to resist that and say, yes, it does say this. This is the way God defines these things. And all throughout Christian history, from the very first, like, they had to deal with the issue of what do we do with circumcision? And the Bible teaches us what? The gospel teaches it. And so Christian leaders, in the midst of the potential of martyrdom, had to stand up and say no to that, yes to this. All throughout history, issues have come to the forefront. Issues regarding the nature of Christ. Was he a man? Was he a prophet? Did he become God? Was he an angel? What is he? You see, we take a lot of this for granted, but you have to understand, actual blood was spilt over fighting over those issues. Murders and martyrs took place as a result. And Christian leaders and the, and the congregation standing behind them had to stand up and say, "You, this is what it says, and stand for the word of God to bring clarity why, to the nation. Because that's what we're called to do. We're not called to conform to the nation. So they have to, had to stood up, and you can read about it. Contra- major controversies that we're not arguing about anymore. Why? Because they stood up. They, they knocked it down, right? 
And they clarified things, and we moved on. It only took 300 years, but, you know, we did it. And some of those issues. You think about the Protestant Reformation. Radical, radical abuses and uh, misunderstandings of the nature of, of the church, of the nature of the gospel, major problems out of what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church. And leaders had to stand up and say, this is what God's word says. It doesn't matter what any council says. It doesn't matter what a pope says. It doesn't matter what some cardinal says, a guru, a vision of Mary. It doesn't matter. This is what the word of God says. And listen, folks, people were burned at the stake over it. They weren't canceled on social media. They were burned at the stake. They had their churches burned down. They stood for the word of God. On and on and on and on and on. And here we are today. Like previous generations, we have challenges from the world resisting the rule of Christ in their nation, in our nation. It's not new. You say, well, the world's becoming so ungodly. No, I mean, it is ungodly, but it's not like a new thing. It's just a new issue. It's a new rebellion. We don't want the rule of Christ. So we're going we're gonna to spit in his face, and we're going to redefine all these things, right? Where are the Christian leaders pushing back? Willing to risk their social media platform. <laughs> Willing to risk their big building. There are three issues that, that I want to talk about, I believe I've identified, that have risen up in our day, and the Christian church must respond from this. Because we're called to make disciples of all nations, and to teach them all that God has given us in this book. All of it. Now, we don't get into issues that God doesn't get into. If this book is silent, we can stay silent, right? But where this thing speaks, we speak. We're supposed to be defining these things for the nation. That's our role. Thus saith the Lord, right? This is how we're to define the issues from this book. Then governments and whatever else, other institutions, arts or whatever, they are to take the definitions and say, okay, this is what a baby is, therefore our laws should look like this. Okay, this is what marriage is, so therefore should look like this. We're... We've got it. Doug Wilson says it all the time that there's a battle going on for the dictionary. We, we've given up on it. Somebody's defining these words. And the Christian church is saying, this, this is, God defines the words. And then you, as a result, understand the words because we've just defined it for you, and then go make just laws in accordance with that. We're, we're not making the laws, we're just defining the terms. Three issues that, that need defined biblically that I'm afraid 
so many churches are scared to death to talk about, and some of you are going to be shocked I even say any of this. So just get ready to be shocked. The first issue is racism. What is racism? What, and then related to that, issues like critical race theory. Oh, my gosh, this guy is nuts. He's, he just said that. We are allowing Marxist atheists to define the terms. And when I say we, I mean churches. We are letting Marxist, godless atheists define the terms like racist. And then we're trying to conform our message to, what, to their definitions. And the Bible defines these things. How many people know that God deals with race in the Bible? What we, call, what we now call race. I got to find that really in the Bible. It's more ethnicities and nations and peoples. I mean, it's not like this doesn't have anything to say. First of all, racism is really bad. It is heresy. It'll send you to hell. It's, it's a sin. Now here we're going to go through several passages here. And Acts 17 says he made from one man every nation, from one man every nation of mankind to live all, uh, on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling places. From one man, all men. Do you know that? Do you know that? There's no, we, we, we got to be careful. We use the word race kind of generically or whatever, but there's one race. That's it. We're all blood. You say, well, these people don't look like me, and I want to vote for people that look like me. What are you talking about? Look like you. We're all one. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians 3.28, we should all know this one. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. All of these categories that these secular atheistic Marxists want to put us in is not of God. He doesn't look at it like that. Gender and race and ethnicity and, and, and socioeconomic status. You're in this group, so you need to vote like this and think like this and be this and do this and feel this. It's so antithetical to the Word of God, and Christians don't know it. We're to teach them to observe all that God has given us in the Word. And we don't even know it's in the Word. <laughs> Acts, back to Acts chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand. God shows no partiality. I want everyone to listen to this. God shows no partiality. None. No partiality. 
But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Is that, do you feel that way? Is anyone from any nation who does or starts off with fears God and does what is right, is that person acceptable to you? Can they marry your daughter? Can they pastor your church? Can they be the president of your United States? Could they be on the Supreme Court? Or do you want to look? That devil. You, I did. That's, that's it, yeah. Listen, do you show partiality? I would really prefer somebody on the Supreme Court that looks like me. You know, they talked like that in the 1800s, right? The KKK, they used to say things like that. But now it's, it's okay to say that now. What, what are we, are we nuts? Are we, have we not seen where that worldly thinking leads? I mean, what is wrong with us? It's like, you don't read a book ever? God shows no partiality. That is not how God evaluates man. You don't hear that in churches now. We got to have, you know, I'd rather, we got to have, well, let's, let's look at our staff and, oh, we don't have enough black pastors and, uh, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I know this, that the Bible talks about all this stuff, and there's a worldview that results as, as what's in here, and Christians need to get with it and then begin to teach it. This nation is going to go right back into oppression. We've had slavery before, and that was after the Constitution. What, what do you think? We can't do that stuff again? There's no distinction. Apostle Paul again, Romans 10. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches upon all on, uh, who call on him. There's no distinction. There's, you hear that? All lives matter. There's no distinction. If you got a problem hearing that, the problem is you, not this book. There's no distinction in God's eyes between people other than those who fear him and those who don't. And that's it. And we need to stop this. Now, we can't help the way the world acts. But we can help the way we act. I'm going way over here. We better start defending uh, and defining things like gender and sexuality. The world is blaspheming God with race. They're blaspheming God with gender and sexuality. And here we are going, I don't know if I'm comfortable with boys and the girls. What do you mean? God, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's not something they discovered. It's not something that they like stumbled upon and figured out. Like, oh. No, 
He just said, this is what you are, and this is therefore part of your identity. Under my, You're both sharing my image equally, but there's distinctions. And he did it that way on purpose. Did you know that? Jesus repeats that in Matthew, what was that, Matthew 19. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? It's like Jesus is like, remember that? Yeah, that's still true. You're, listen, do you have any idea how much trouble you're going to get in when you start saying this? It's like, I can't believe that this is even a controversy. But it's like a big one. And they're going to they're gonna call you all kinds of names. And, and, and it, it's going to screw up opportunities for your kids with sports. And it, listen, I, I don't know what to tell you, but we're to make disciples of all nations. And this word is very clear about these issues. And it's, all, it's incumbent upon us to stand during those times and address the issues of our day. We're not worried about whether women should vote anymore. That is a different day. We're not arguing about the nature of Christ. Fully man, fully God. That's the, those issues have been pretty much settled. We're still to teach them, but it's not. It's there's no heat there anymore. This is the heat. Stand up, not with your ignorance either. Insane hillbilly things. You read from this book. That means you study the book. You give them the word. Don't say ignorant things. There's distinctions. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two, verse five. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. When was the last time you ever heard that preached in church? I didn't make that up. Now what's interesting is different cultures look at male dress and female dress different, right? Back in their day, they're wearing, men were wearing tunics. If I showed up in a tunic, do you know what these guys would do to me? They'd laugh. Jeremy would be like, what's wrong with you? You're in a dress, dude. And there's times where women would wear uh, basically what we would consider kind of pants. It's not... It's not there's no defined list in the Bible. It's what the culture's understanding is feminine. That there's distinctions here. That cross-dressing is a sin. To be androgynous in the way we appear is a sin. Why? Because we're made in the image of God, and part of that is our gender, and so we're to reflect that and rejoice in that. You ladies are to look feminine. The guys are like, Yes, yes, say that again. No man wants a masculine-looking woman to walk in. None. And you know you ladies don't like effeminate men. We know this, right? We know this. You can't say it, though. God help you if you say this. There's distinctions in the word of God between men and women. We're not the same or equal. And we're the Christian church. Sexuality, obviously, needs addressed. 
Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews. I think it's Barnabas. I don't know why I just say that. Oh, nobody's laughing, but like, we're, we're not sure, but why not Barnabas? Uh, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be un- let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Did you know that if you're not married, you're not supposed to be giving each other orgasms in any form or fashion, online, in in the in the back seat, when you're watching movies? Did you know that? I'm not, I'm the mailman. And believe me, I have messed that up. That's not the standard. We don't preach on that anymore. We got people sitting in churches and teaching in Sunday schools that are living together outside of wedlock in some of these big churches in this town. And I know who they are. It's not a rumor. And we wonder why we have absolutely no anointing in our churches and make absolutely mean nothing in the culture. You're going to be judged if you're fooling around. It's, I didn't say it. It says that right there. If you're watching porn, you're going to be judged. Oh, man, let's get this message over with. Oh, man. When we talk about sexual sin, it's like, we'll just kick on the gays, right? Well, how about everybody watching porn in here? We don't want, oh, move on. But we'll talk about the gays, too. Leviticus 18, 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. You say, well, you're going to get kicked off social media. I, I don't know. Okay, I'm kicked off social media then. That didn't change. Apostle Paul in Romans 1, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations, natural, 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 natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, the way God made us. That's why it's a sin. Then the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts, shameless, it's shameless. Acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You got to define these things. You got to understand what the Bible says. You got to teach them to your kids. This is what the meaning of our life is, and it'll cost us something, but there's joy in it. Your life will mean something, the world will change. Lastly, government. We're over time here, but you guys seem like you're behaving good, so we're not, we're doing good. Do you have any idea that the Bible teaches us about government? Some of you think that all government is illegitimate, and that's heresy. God instituted it. Some of you think that the government is God, basically. That's heresy. So we don't even know what it said. We said, well, what do we say? I don't know how to vote. The Bible's very clear, but we've got timid preachers that won't teach on this stuff, and we used to. You understand? Think about the civil rights movement. Where was the heartbeat in the civil rights movement? It was in churches. What about women's suffrage? That stuff came out of churches. 
What about the abolitionist movement against slavery that led to the Civil War that came out of churches? What about the American Revolution? Where did that come from? That came out of churches because preachers weren't as timid to tell people this is what the government's allowed to do. This is what they're not allowed to do. And if you disobey what they're allowed to do, then you're going to go to prison or you're going to get executed, and we're all going to nod our heads and say amen at you, so obey the government. Until the government's usurping authority that God never gave them, they would define these things. And then as a result of that, people would go, Duh, wow, I guess we should do something. And then they would leave church, and guess what? They start doing things. But now we don't know what to do, do we? Because we have no clue what the Bible says. Shame on the preachers. They're scared to death of their 501c3 being taken. I, I, you know how little I care about that stupid 501? I seriously could not give a crap about that thing. It's killing us. Not us, because we don't care, but I'm saying evangelicalism. Here's what it says. First Peter chapter 2. Be subject. This is verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to an emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, not who do good, who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, living as people who are free. That's God's, that's God's will, freedom in civil society. Not for using your freedom to cover up evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear, the God, uh, fear God, honor the emperor. That's a command. It's a command. Be careful when, you're, when we're saying F this guy and F that guy. Okay, there may be a point, but just can we be careful with that? Right? I'm, I'm not, maybe we should, maybe it's Okay. But can we at least like slow down when we start F this and F that? Especially when we're talking about rulers, even really dumb ones. Like, watch out. We're like, it's not optional. Again, Paul writing to Titus remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. You see, there's always extremes. Some people that just think anarchy is okay. It's not okay. You do, listen, I'm not, if we don't have police in Wadsworth, I'm going to be okay, at least for probably the next 15 to 20 years. Come, come, at, come at my house and try to take my stuff. Well, watch how that goes for you. That would be really a bad idea. Okay? But what about my mom? Right? What about your mom? Who's home alone, right? You, you don't want to live in a world where people like me are fending for myself, and I'm the only type. You got Nate back there. Nobody's going to come and get his stuff. His family will be okay. What about, you know, what about you single moms? Who's going to watch you, right? You don't want to live in a world like that. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Romans 13, though, says, let every person, again, follows the same line, be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The ones that exist, are, are, uh, and he's going to defy the ones that exist, have been instituted by God. 
by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. I, I think he's serious there. To me, it seems like he's serious. For rulers are, this is godly rulers. This is what he's defining. The ones instituted by God, the ones that God has blessed and installed there, rule, those rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of those who are in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant, a deacon. He's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. It means he can kill you. This is, the government's got real authority given to them by God. they got a license to kill and make war. He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. I know some of you think that taxation is theft, like just a blanket statement. Just a blanket statement. Well, not according to God. Now, it can become theft. Right? It could become theft, but the concept is instituted by God. Watch out. When we start, can we just be careful with our rhetoric? Can we be precise with our rhetoric? What, what heck we're talking about here? For this reason, why? God instituted the government. You pay taxes. For the authorities, what? For, or because of. For minister, the, the, uh, Authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. Owed. Do you know what the word owed means? Owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. So that means pay your bills. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This passage here, we're way over time. This passage here makes us all uncomfortable, makes the ones that are hyper-conservative and don't want to be told anything, right? Well, guess what? And don't want to pay no taxes. But guess what? It says be in subjection to godly authority. And then to those of us that are communistic and are thinking, we're dead wrong too. Because this is defines what governments can and cannot do. These godly, God-instituted governments are never, ever to be a terror to good conduct. And when they are, they're not of God and can be removed. I'm just going to end with this one here. Psalm 22, verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. Every government... There's a separation, there should be, between church. This, by the way, is a biblical doctrine, separation of church and state. That did not come from Thomas um, Jefferson. Okay, that came from this book. The church doesn't run nations. Nations don't run, or the church doesn't run governments. Governments don't run the church. But there's no separation between God and state. The Lord is king, and he rules over the nations. The buck stops with him, and they're going to give an account to him. Now, this is all in the word of God. All of these things, this is what's going on in our day right now. 
Who's going to study this stuff out? And who's going to push back? It's what we're called to do, to be disciples who disciple the nations. It's our calling, and it's awesome. Get in the fight. Study this book and preach it and teach it to your kids, to the neighbor kids, to the kids in Sunday school, and to everyone else. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we don't have to grope and wonder what our calling in life is. We don't have to wonder, why are we here? What should I be doing? What should I be pursuing? What should I be thinking about? Oh, there's different applications to this, but it all boils down to being a disciple of the nations. Understanding that we are here to not be reclusive. We are here to advance the message, to see hearts and lives changed, and ultimately to see nations converted to you. We're part of that. We're part of that. And we're so thankful. That's so big. And it matters. It matters to future generations even. Kids that we'll never know of or meet. Thank you for that. But we know it comes at a price. And sometimes we may not get invited somewhere. And we may get made fun of. Or some of us may end up in jail one day over this. We understand. Give us strength. Because your calling upon our life is greater than anything that this world has to offer. Give us this. Give us this. Uh, may we rejoice in knowing who we are and what we're to do. And give us the strength to walk in it, we pray. In Jesus' name.